0: Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com and download our free Shock Your Potential app today. Listen in to today's expert. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Shock Your Potential. I am your host, Michael Sherlock. And all month long, we are taking time not only to thank our veterans, but also to learn from them, learn about their stories, learn about what they have gained through their service and to learn how they've transitioned all that expertise and experience into thriving entrepreneurial journeys. So my guest today is Keith Renison. He's a Colorado native. He obtained a CFP from the College for Financial Planning in a decade that, you know, we just don't even need to discuss. (laughs) But his education was spread out over many decades. He spent two years in the Army with a tour in the Vietnam War. So you know he's seen things that many of us will never hopefully ever see. His new award-winning book is called, and I love this, Tenacity. You don't have to get lost in Nepal to find yourself, but it helps. (laughs) And it's based on the second trip that he took when he traveled alone. And yes, you got it, got lost for a few days in the Himalayas. I'm so glad he's with us now. Now through this, he developed his trip technique And this system is from his book, and he's been using it in in in-person, virtual and hybrid meetings to give some excitement to his audiences about this. Now really, it turns into a technique assessment as well, in which you can be scored on your strengths and weaknesses in a few important things like tenacity, resilience, imagination, and purpose. And if you notice, I think that spells trip when you come to the first letters of each of those words. Now, he's also been well known for his car and bike racing, his love of skiing. And if you're watching the video, you know that he is waiting for it. And as an amateur photographer and joining me today from his home in Colorado with a beautiful virtual backdrop is Keith. Thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Good morning, Michael. Good Oh, afternoon. <laughs> Excuse me. The day's flying by. What am I doing? <laughs>
0: hey, by the time this airs, it will be morning when it airs. So you're doing good. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much. And, you know, first of all, thank you for your service. And for those especially, I mean, every every service is important without a doubt. But I think that, you know, all of us need to be exceptionally aware of those who served in Vietnam because, There's a lot of factors there that many of us don't know, we'll never know. Um, And thankfully, your service has continued to keep us safe. But I just gave some of the highlights. So tell us a little bit first about your military service, about what got you, uh, you know, what made you take that step into the Army and, and a little bit about, you know, what you learned there, how it helped you through your life to shock your own potential
1: well i was drafted i was between colleges <clears throat> and in uh, 1969 that was not uncommon mm-hmm. uh, they were they were grabbing guys as quickly as they could and i got uh, swept up in that so i i went to basic training in fort lewis washington <clears throat> where i took a whole battery of tests like everybody does to figure out what your military occupation is going to be and I noticed that I, they kept moving me from one test to another and the test kind of kept getting more and more difficult and they were more technical. And I'm going, what's going on here? This doesn't sound like they're trying to figure out if I'm going to shoot a bazooka or an M16 or a tank. And oh. I, uh, then ultimately, my parents, uh, I called them on a weekend and they said, what have you done? And I said, oh, what do you boy. mean? And they said, there were people here asking questions about you for a secret, uh, top secret clearance. Oh yeah. And that was my first clue that I was headed to Fort Hood, Texas next to work on civilian made weapons in a in a secure facility, which back then they were uh, training uh, the military to start using the night scope, mm. uh, the night vision scope that's right. green. Yeah. And I ended up testing that in the in the prairies of Texas before they actually released it out into the military. And wow. I was like I ran a computer because that was what I was in education for before I got drafted, and I was the only guy in the in the truck running this thing. It, a whole long story I won't bore you with today. But then I ended up going to Vietnam after about seven months, uh, eight months, mm-hmm. and once again in a top secret clearance uh, facility where I took a uh, gathered information. That's essentially what we were all doing about. Mm-hmm. How the war was going what inventory we had of of helicopters and ammunition and stuff and uh that was that was what i did then i had i my own the only dangerous area of time that i was on in vietnam was when i was on guard duty and that kept us pretty busy but oh, other than man. that uh, yeah. uh i was lucky so yeah my two years uh in the service taught me a, a multitude of things to answer your initial question which number one i'll say was working within a team Mm-hmm. It was the camaraderie, the teamwork, uh, rising to leadership in some certain things that I didn't expect myself to do. Yeah. Uh, I was a platoon leader for a while, and it, it that's where I guess I got the leadership bug, because once I got out of the Army, I, I wanted to be a leader with whatever I did, which was mm-hmm. sometimes pushy, <laughs> 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 and sometimes it was fun, but... Um, uh-huh. And, that sounds like all,
0: leadership to me.
1: <laughs> well, and it also taught me really good communication skills because you got to mm. be very accurate in what you talk about in the military. Yes, absolutely. And uh, so between leadership and communication, it all sort of led itself to being an independent. Uh, you mentioned my certified financial planner designation. I was a an insurance agent and a financial planner for 42 years. And uh, that's where I guess I, got, I gained all of that Uh, tenacity, if you will, to be Mm -hmm. an independent person and have my own business.
0: Well, you know, when I hear your story, though, my question, though, is with all that experience and all the technical aspect that they put you through all those tests and found out, you know, how well you could work in that in technology. What what made you go the route of finances instead of technology?
1: I found that working in a room that was ice cold all day. Oh, yeah. Because it was a big old IBM machine back in those days that had to have lots of air conditioning and not being around many people. I mean, I'm sitting there watching the tape drives go around and I'm watching the disk drive, which was three feet across in those days. Um, It was like, wait a minute, when I get home, I want to work with people. I don't want to work with computers. But ironically, now I do a lot of work on my computer again, I designed my own website i you know I do a lot of YouTube videos. I love all of the technical stuff now
0: yeah, well, and I think your point is spot on I mean technology then was very different than technology today, so yes. if you would have been trained at that time in you know how tech is working today, you might have chosen to continue with that route, but I can absolutely see number one not enjoying the cold. But the isolation, you're too personable to just sit alone in a room. I think you would, I, if you would have had to go there one more year, I think you would have lost your mind.
1: <laughs> I think I lost some of it as it is anyway. I tell a lot of people that that's how I lost my hair. Uh, but it's, uh, it's just how life goes sometimes. You know, You never know where the bounces are going to take you.
0: So tell me, I, I want to talk a little bit about your book and because it's, first of all, I love the title, but I mean, there's clearly an incredible story. I mean, it, it sounds, you know, just, oh, and you got lost a few days in the Himalayas like, ah, it's nothing, but getting lost in the Himalayas is a pretty big deal. Tell me about, you know, what you, what you learned in that, like kind of the synopsis of your book, what would make us, you know, really say, Hey, I need to read that because that story is going to affect me as well.
1: It's a, an adventure memoir is what I call it. And I uh, I, I landed in Kathmandu uh, and already had my trekking permit established to go to the base camp of Everest over a, about a six week period. And uh, they have received about five feet of snow in the previous five days and they canceled my trekking permit. So on the spot, I had to redesign the trip. And that's really what was the problem. I ended up going into an area that I had not researched. And when I got there, my compass, my maps, nothing was uh, working the way that it needed to to get me where I was going. And so within about four or five hours of starting that trek, I was lost. And I don't know that I could have found my way back out because I was still at a low elevation. I was still in jungle. I was working my way up to get to a mountain called Kankanjunga in the northeast corner of, of Nepal. And I meditated, I journaled each day, I started to looking at my life, because I had hit a midlife crisis and a mid career crisis, all at the same time. And that was what precipitated this, this trip. And I was able to start putting down on paper what I wanted to do when I got home. And it took me six more years before I retired and actually did it. But once I did, I'm now doing exactly what I wrote down in my journal while I was lost, which was become a, an author and a public speaker.
0: I love that. And I think it's very apropos with your title that you don't have to get lost in Nepal to find yourself, but it does help. So in other words, sometimes those uh, extremes are actually when we're able to focus in, and ask ourselves some of the really tough questions that we can push aside in the day to day or you know just pursuing what we think we must continue to do
1: yeah and as we learned in the military there's no atheists in foxholes and i really connected with god while i was in vietnam and while i was lost in nepal I, i've never really lost my spirituality i've i it just it kind of ebbs and flows with me <clears throat> i'm really strong with it sometimes and i'm not so strong other times but while i was in both situations i had long conversations Uh, with God as to where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do and how I wanted to get there. And, and as I look back, I've been a very blessed human being because those things have occurred.
0: So then you decided to, I mean, obviously, like you said, it didn't happen overnight, but six years later, you said, okay, I've, I've now I've taken the path. So where I'm, I am, where I want to be. I'm a motivational speaker, written my book. I want to inspire people when you are speaking to groups you know, what kind of things do people walk away from your meetings? What kind of things, you know, when, when you're standing there at the end and everybody's lined up to shake your hand and say, hey, I love that. What kind of things do they say to you?
1: They love my stories because I uh, I am a storyteller. <clears throat> Excuse me. I, I love telling stories. I can see them going through my head as I'm telling them and I'm reliving them and the excitement builds back up inside of me. And I think I probably exude that from the stage. Uh, and it uh, it's just one of those things where you uh, you you start to inspire people by them relating to what they can see in themselves from what you've experienced mm-hmm. and i think that's the whole thing a public speaker is all about and what we love so much about our job is I can see people nodding just like you're doing on the screen right now. You know, we when you see them nodding, you know they're connecting with you, and that they can they can see an experience they've had that was very similar, but they hadn't looked at it the same. They haven't uh, uh, attributed the power that it had in their life. And if they look back, they can say, "Oh yeah, it really was a lot. That was a, a powerful event that I didn't really give it enough credit." And here I am today, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I think that's the biggie for me is seeing those those smiling faces, nodding, and people laughing and enjoying the stories.
0: And I love the fact, you know, you talked about having a, you know, kind of a mid-career and a mid-life crisis all at the same moment. And I think it's really important that we talk about those things. And I'll just, I'll just share a quick story about someone else. I had a guest on my podcast several years ago, and I swear I, I refer to him so many times because he impressed me so much. He decided he and his wife were kind of both at the pinnacle of their sales careers, but they were burnt out and they were exhausted and they were, you know, fighting with each other. And they're like, this is not right. We need to figure this out. And so they basically kind of sold everything, put everything else in storage. And they took what they call a mid-career retirement. And they said, we are going to take a couple backpacks and we're going to travel the world and see where it takes us. And that story, I just loved talking with them. You know, they've built kind of a new business out of it. But I was just so impressed with, you know, the realization because so many of us, even though we know we're burnt out or we know we're reaching those points. And I can think of the times in my life um, that you, but you still don't acknowledge it until you're so lost, maybe that literally being lost, you know, in the Himalayas is, the extreme situation you have to be in before you say, okay, all right, big guy, I'm ready. I got to do something about this and kind of open yourself up to that dialogue within your own mind and heart.
1: Yeah. I, that's how my assessment came about this, this summer. I worked on it for about three months and I'm sitting at home on a Saturday night I'm single. I'm watching a terrible horror movie from the <laughs> 1950s on TV. I've had one glass of wine too many. And so I set up, my, set up my whiteboard in my dining room and I've started writing on it, trying to come up with how I could take my speaking to the next level and what I could do that was different. Mm -hmm. And I started putting stuff up and researching on the internet. And by the time I was done, I had laid out the foundation and the the game plan of what this thing was going to turn into. Mm -hmm. And I then hired some really expert people who helped me put the questions and the answers together and we molded it. And it took us three months to pull it all together and now it's available. We call it the trip trip technique assessment because it will help people learn their strengths and weaknesses in tenacity, resilience, imagination, and purpose. And why... You know, why this came to me, I have no idea. I don't know if it was the wine or the horror movie, but maybe it was just God speaking to me. But I, I suddenly had an idea and I ran with it. And it was just like everything else that's happened in my life. It seems like once that inspiration hits, I can't stop. I just take off running until I'm, until I'm out of gas. And then I know, I, okay, now stop, look, see what you've created and see where we go from here. And that's exciting really- to me in, in life. That's just so exciting.
0: Whether you run out of gas or run out of wine, I know how that goes. (laughs) Well, Keith, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to hear from our sponsor, and we will be right back. Imagine starting a long journey without a map or even a clear idea of the obstacles ahead. That's exactly what it's like for entrepreneurs who start companies with a lot of passion, but without the financial expertise to grow and scale their businesses and create long-term wealth for their families. Find a financial advisor who can help you map a better journey. Wayne Titus shows you how in his book, The Entrepreneur's Guide to Financial Wellbeing. With the right advisor at your side, you'll have the freedom to focus on what really matters to you. Get The Entrepreneur's Guide to Financial Wellbeing at Amazon.com and in the virtual bookstore on the Shock Your Potential app. And we are back with Keith Rennison, and we are talking about uh, his trip technique—not only the assessment, but his story, but also his uh, his career as a motivational speaker. His second career, or third career, if you consider it as military service. He's got a lot of careers going on, which I think is so much fun to reinvent yourself. So, you, you know, we highlighted this a little bit when we were talking before. You know, about what you what you learned from your service and how it impacted your you know uh your career in financial services how it impacts today you know what you gained from that i know you talked about working with a team and leadership and good communication skills but you know are there other elements of you know what you gained in the service that really helps you as an entrepreneur
1: discipline <clears throat> i mean it's is as easy as that yeah. uh, the military teaches you discipline uh, having a hierarchy of rank and understanding how the ranks work, and how you can work with them, and how they mold you in the army way with the discipline that they inflict upon you <laughs> in basic yeah. training, you know, uh, they they tear you down to build you back up in the in the military mold, and it, it the system works. Uh, it has made us, you know, a, a wonderful militaristic uh, army that we've got now. Uh, the other services are great too. Not to discount any of them. Uh, although I'm not sure about the Marines, Uh, but uh, it was discipline is one of those things that I came home with. And I came home in the, in 1971 and the hippie era was still going on. Mm -hmm. And I ended up for a while being a disc jockey at night in a discotheque. And it, it was a lot of fun to be able to I worked during the day. It was a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde existence. I was a banker during the daytime and I was a, I was a disc jockey at night and the discipline yeah. to be able to switch from one career to the other and and follow a path of entertainment and yet path of finance. I wanted my life to be fun and I wanted to be able to be disciplined enough to have those areas in my life very distinctly purposed yeah. and do them on purpose so that I could really come out with what I wanted in the other end. And Both jobs ironically prepared me for what I'm doing now. I, Mm -hmm. you know, being behind a microphone up on a stage, spinning Mm -hmm. records, you know, I had no idea that's where I was headed.
0: Wow! Talk about compartmentalization—a yeah. banker in the day and a jockey night. So I have to ask then: Did you have like long flowing hair? I mean, did you have a mullet going on, or were you, you know, doing total business of the hairdo?
1: Okay, I'm going to totally embarrass myself here. When I got home from Vietnam, I looked just like I do now. I went over with hair. I came back without it. It, it basically—and that happened to my father. He lost all of his hair at 20 yep. as well. And yeah,
0: I'm so, one of my nephews, same thing. Yep.
1: So I wore a toupee.
0: Oh, really?
1: For about eight years. Really, And uh, it was one of those things that was fastened to my head. I couldn't take it off. I could shower with it and swim with it and whatnot. And it looked good for what I spent on it. It better look good. And and you couldn't really tell. I mean, some of them, you know, flap in the wind, you know, and it's, uh, (laughs) this was very well made. It was human hair and it, uh, it it worked well, but I, I came home with no hair in the middle of the hair generation.
0: Oh yeah. That would be tough.
1: I wanted to look like everybody else. And so, yeah. but then I got married in the early 80s. It got infected in the sides oh. where the stitches were holding it on. And I took it off and uh, haven't worn it since. So yeah, I, I have to embarrass myself every once in a while and tell that story. But, well, you know. Well, thank
0: you for sharing. I hope you don't feel embarrassed by it. I no, no, a, no, no, I think no, it's no. a great, I think it's a great story to tell. But it's also, I mean, like you said, you came home in the hair generation. You know, that makes it even tougher. So thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate that.
1: Yeah, it was a tough time to come back from Vietnam because we were not liked as as yeah. soldiers in those days. You've heard those stories, I'm sure, oh, and I won't yeah. belabor it. Um, but <clears throat> I, 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 we all came home and instantly didn't want to look like a soldier, right? Because we didn't fit in anymore. Right, and, and that was sad because we were proud of our service. We were proud of what we had accomplished, which was going to a war zone, which something not many people would do, whether I was in active uh, battle or not, I was still part of the support staff and it, yeah. we were still in danger in being in theater. So it was, it was something I came home with and I felt good about. It. And then all of a sudden I couldn't feel good about it publicly. And that was hard.
0: Yeah. yeah. And I think that's why in the beginning I was, talking about the fact that I think it's really important that we talk openly with veterans of the Vietnam War and, and talk about these stories because we don't know, those of us who've never served don't know what that's like, but you certainly don't know what it's like then to come back from a very unpopular war and try and deal with it. And it wasn't your fault. You didn't start the war, but But people's reactions and interactions really can be difficult to juggle. And you're already juggling a lot coming back from it and getting back in the rest, you know, in the regular work world.
1: Yeah, the PTSD that the guys came home with from over there that experienced battle conditions was, was bad enough without them coming home and, and being stigmatized here at the, in the on our homeland. And, Absolutely. Uh, uh, you know, I felt bad for all of them that suffered that kind of trauma. And I was blessed that I didn't. And mm-hmm. I, I the, you know, we all have that survivor's guilt, those of us that had those kinds of experiences. So I had my own kind of problems that came out of it. Yeah. And uh, I, I had a long uh, battle when I got home with um, hyperventilating. Whenever oh, I got mm-hmm. in a stressful situation at work, I would hyperventilate and I actually went and sought some help out, and they said, "Well, this all stems from the you know you're you're carrying this forward, and that's why you're absolutely. doing it so absolutely
0: and that's why I do think you know we those of us who have not served need to continue to honor everyone who does and has served because that's if that's all we can do, we can do that, and if we can honor it and respect it." then we continue to be stronger as a nation. I think it's really important. So thank you for sharing your, your story. Um, And I know we're going to have all of your contact information on our show notes, but just in case somebody's like, I need to find out this man right now, book him for a speaking gig and buy his book. What's the best way? What, what way do you want people to find you?
1: Well, my last name is hard to spell for some people because it's got too many N's in it. So (laughs) So I came up with the triptechnique.com. so that's the triptechnique.com, and that takes you right to my website where it'll explain the assessment and my speaking gigs and my book. and I'm soon going to have my <laughs> baseball caps on. Oh look. That's up for sale awesome. uh, one for each letter of trip. so uh, we'll have those up there for sale here pretty soon. Just something you know, fun item. what the heck. Beautiful. Uh, yeah, the triptechnique.com.
0: The trip. com. And those who didn't see the video yet, um, he had an incredibly great looking hat that said imagination and they'll have all the words for trip. Exactly. Well, Keith, before we go, do you have any last words of wisdom or pearls of advice for my listeners and viewers?
1: Yeah. Be kind to your soldiers. Be kind to them as they come home. And as they suffer now a little bit because of the feelings left after Afghanistan, Oh, yeah. That's going to leave a lot of guys feeling like their job was was there for naught and that's not the case. They kept us safe for a very long time and we need to recognize that that uh, that that tour of duty that they all did and the the results that we all were blessed with.
0: Amen to that. And for all the people's lives in Afghanistan who are changed for the better even if it may not be the same now, there were there were a lot of positive steps. I agree completely.
1: Yeah. For sure.
0: Thank you, Keith, so much for sharing your story. Thank you so much for your service. And thank you for being our guest today. It was fantastic to learn from you.
1: I'm glad you have this series going. That's a wonderful idea. and Thank you for including me.
0: Thank you. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Shock Your Potential podcast. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com, including details on Michael's two best best-selling books. Tell me more